Apple presents events at the Apple Store. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Larry Flick from SiriusXM. Hi, y'all. Thanks for coming out. I am so pleased to be here, and especially uh, because I get to introduce you to someone whom I'm having the great pleasure of becoming friends with. She is a brilliant actor. She is a remarkable music artist. Please welcome my new friend, and you're gonna love her so much, Minnie Driver. Have a seat, darling. All right. So, you look like you're having an absolutely gorgeous time doing this show. Yeah, I love it. What I is it about show. this lady you like playing? Well, you know, I was talking with friends about how everybody wants to be on cable because you get to be expanded and sort of dirty and edgy. And I think, there's, I think there's an awful lot of discipline to be on network television and to be funny and candid in a way that is sort of family-friendly. I find that a great challenge, and I think it's interesting. Um, I didn't do that in The Riches, but you do do it in this, and there's something muscular about it and clever. It uh, is, it's a different, it's a different um, approach to yeah. performing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is, and now Jason Katims, who's the creator of the show, and he is one of the great writers. I think Friday Night Lights was a, just a superb show. And they... We laugh all day long. I don't know how many jobs that you have where that is, you're sort of legitimately encouraged to have a really good time. And I've had a lot of really crap times on jobs. And, um, you know, in 22 years. So it's nice to go to work every day and like, laugh and have a, a good time. So when you first met this woman on the page, what was it about her that you thought... I connect to that, I can bring her to life in this way. Well, it's more about seeing how it could be funny, genuinely, because she's not, <clears throat> she's super neurotic and... Um, Are you? No, I'm not. I mean, I'm, I'm actually not. I mean, particularly for an actress, because actresses are mad for the most part. But I'm not, I'm not really neurotic at all. I have other f faults. But she's conflicted and weird and... There's, and very awkward, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of ground for, um, for comedy within that. And that's also a very particular British thing, to be that sort of um, precise and inflexible, but also be super alternative and a vegan. She's a, it's a very funny confluence of characteristics. Do you find, do you find that you approach this, this program in a way that is like traditional theatre? It feels like theater, even though it looks like film, there's something, it has a, it has a proscenium at times, it has, it has perfectly measured moments. We rehearse it like theater, and we talk about it like theater, so it's as close to theater as it can be without actually being it. Um, but there's, there's also something beautifully rhythmic about, about the piece when you're on screen. Um, how does that come out in your collaboration with your fellow actors and with your directors? Um, <clears throat> I, think, I think everybody um, everybody is really sort of on the same page, but they synthesize it slightly differently. So um, 
what comes out is interesting and not homogenized, you know? What, what I find so um, satisfying, y'all, about Minnie Driver is that she is very musical in so many ways, as you, I'm sure, know. She's just released her third album, and uh, it's called Ask Me to Dance. And you might hear about Minnie as an artist and think, oh, another actor who sings. But I have a feeling that you're a singer masquerading as an actor, aren't <laughs> you? Funny. Well, it's what I did before. I was a singer long before I was an actress. How um, long were you a singer? Uh, I was signed to Island Records when I was 18 in a band. We signed on the same day as Massive Attack and um, PM Dawn and the Cranberries. And we, we were all, we sort of fit these, we fit these different niches. We were like, we were sort of like Massive Attack. I was like, you know, a white girl singer with two DJs and two rappers. It was properly good, I'm telling you. I found some of the tunes the other day. They're like, I got them on a cassette. I got these two cassettes with these tunes. They were so good. But they, my band, you know, they were 19-year-old, like, total ragamuffins. I mean, no, no, absolutely no direction whatsoever. And what is interesting is that Ak, who was the, one of the rappers and the DJs, he now, he just won an Academy Award for, uh, he does all Finch's soundtracks. Isn't he, that something? Yeah, he, he won for Social Network. I mean, he's, he's, he's like legit huge. <laughs> so for, <laughs> Wouldn't have known that back then, did he? He's amazing. So for people who, who need a, a quick bit of education, why are you acting then? Because I was broke and I didn't have any money and I got we got dropped by the label um, this development deal that we had. And I was about, I was trying to get another deal and I was about, I was sort of about to sign with EMI um, as a solo artist. And I went out for, I was, I, my friend said, do you want me to take you out for dinner? And I was so bloody hungry. I was like, yes. <laughs> and she was having dinner with the director. And I don't know why he saw this like skinny string bean. It was kind of, you know, what, 21. And he went, do you want to be in a film? And I was like, how much are you paying? It's like five grand. I was like, I'm in. What do you want me to do? And he's like, well, I need you to get fat for a start. So I did. So that I must have about, been fun. Yeah. What my, did you eat? <clears throat> well, my brother used to wake me up in the middle of the night and like give me Mars bars and pasta. That oh my was my, God. that's that, how I did isn't it. Isn't that heaven? It's quite hard, actually. It's quite hard. Oh, for, you know what? Uh, you skinny people, shut, shut up. Shut up. But when you, <laughs> I, was tw I was 21 and built like a paperclip. So... <clears throat> so I put on this weight and it was, I think, honestly, when you're, this, this is the thing I don't understand about the sort of lack of renaissance understanding about creativity and creative people because you, you do more than one thing. You have to have more than one medium. You can't always be making things out of clay or oils. You're constantly experimenting and the, it was performance art to me. It was part of the music, this whole getting fat and being in this beautiful film and finding all of that. Like it, was, it was the same as writing music. It was the same as standing on a stage and, and, and performing. I didn't separate it out, but people have always boxed it up, and I never really understood it. So does that mean then when you're performing on any level in any medium that we're seeing Mini Driver? Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, I don't have anything else to, to have metabolized for you. 
I mean, I honestly, that, that is, it's all out there. I mean, there have been crazier versions of me at different times, but no, I mean, it's legitimately me. So does that mean that the transition back to music was comfortable? Yeah, it was, it was, a, no, it was a complete no-brainer, and the timing of it was, was easy and amazing. My, um, Pete Yorn had been a friend of mine for years, just from around L.A., um, I used to go and see him do all these sort of acoustic shows that uh, I was part of a crew that always used to go and see him play at these rubbish venues in LA and then he started blowing up and he, he knew that I played and wrote and he just said why don't you come to South by Southwest and just open for me at some shows and I did that and Rounder, my label they, the, two, the two guys <clears throat> the managing director and the president of the company they didn't recognise me but they took me out for a drink afterwards and said you know they wanted to sign me. <laughs> it was good. And they didn't know that it was... No, I was sort of wearing a cowboy hat and glasses. I don't know. Like, you know, reading glasses. My goodness. Well... It was good. It's very good because that, felt, that must have felt like the ultimate proving ground. Well, yeah, because people don't... People... And I, know, I do understand that the, the bar is set fairly low for actors singing. But musicians acting, it's much better, but... There aren't that many actors who sing, not who sing the kind of Americana that I wanted to play. You know, that the, the, you can sing Broadway, I suppose, and be, but I, I don't sing that. Well, and this is, this is what we need to get to next, because Ask Me to Dance is your third album. And it's your first album where you haven't written all the material. Yeah. Um, and the thing that distinguishes all of your albums is that I don't hear an English girl on any of these records. I certainly don't hear a girl who was part of the acid jazz new soul movement back in the 90s. <clears throat> well, that came out of... The school that I went to was this really weird, amazing, progressive school in the middle of the countryside, and records would be handed down from, like, the 12th graders down. So when I would get a record by the band, I thought it was a recent record. When they give me, like, after the gold rush, I didn't think it... I thought it was now, it was out now. So I was listening for a, a long time to Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and the band and, and Graham Parsons thinking it was all, that was just what was happening in America at that particular time. And what were you connecting to in those songs? When you hear, the for story. example, um, and, and, and we have a cue so we're gonna ask for it because I, I'm obsessed with Ask Me To Dance. If you don't have a copy, you better get one and you need to go directly to um, your interpretation of John, the John Prine song. Oh, thank Speed you. Speed at the Sound of Lonely. I mean, again, I heard that, I heard that when I was very young, and, and I remember working that out in the music school. Um, it was one of the first things I sort of... It was a, very, it's a simple song to play on the guitar. And when you start playing and singing, um, it spurs you on to... Well. Yeah. Let's hear a little bit of it so you can get an idea of what we're talking about. You come home straight and you come home curly Sometimes you don't come home at all That's Minnie Driver from the album Ask Me to Dance. Thank you, thank you. Um, where did you just go? 
You left us. No, I was just, I was just listening. I mean, it's a bit creepy playing your music in front of oh, people. Oh, like, it's not creepy at all. Listen, Come on, listen girl. To you got an ego like the rest listen. of us. Yeah, but, but, but I can do it with my family and be like, oi, right, everyone, listen. But I don't know. You sort of start listening with different ears and go. It's, it's, there's something so deliciously painful in, in your delivery of that song. Where did, where, where did you... That's a, pain, that's a painful song. I mean, to connect with that when you're like 16, 17 years old and you've lost a love or you... Uh, it, I don't know, I always, I always connected with that. Because that, um, it's, it's, it's a particular kind of country that John Prine was writing. Um, uh, a really painful country. You know, the same thing that Emmylou Harris was writing, is writing. I mean, um, I think it just, it, it keys into uh, the teenage part of you without the melodrama, but with all the emotion. When did you realize that you could do that with your voice? Because a lot of us try, right? We all listen to our favorite song, and we first, we're, first we're, we're singing like this, because we think we're singing and sounding just like them. And then some of us discover that we have something that we can do with our voice. When did you discover that? I think, uh, I think when I really started playing the guitar and singing w with it, because it leads, you, it, it leads you melodically into different places when you play and you sing. And you, um, the only thing to gird yourself with when you're so nervous standing up in front of people and singing is your genuine connection with what you're doing. Because the minute it becomes false and you separate yourself out and you're trying to do something or sound like somebody else, you become less and less grounded. The only thing that grounds you is sort of your connection to it. So in a way, it was by how many, the 10,000 hours that I spent standing up in front of people as a kid, because I was a bad waitress. So I did every open mic and I played dinner jazz for years. And so from that came writing. Yep. And from that, eventually we got two albums. And yet this oh, yeah. album, is not your writing. Why is this not your writing? Well, I had a funny thing. When I had my son, first of all, I didn't have time to do anything except have my son. And I didn't... I was, so, well, I was worried about money and like providing for him, and I was a single mum, and I was like, I've just got to work. I've got to make films. I've got to get paid. I've got to make sure everything is safe for him. Because I, I didn't have anyone... I don't mean that in a sad way, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have a husband to share the thing with or financially. And my writing really suffered as a result. Uh, I was so sort of single-minded and very committed to parenting. And everything that I wrote, honestly, I mean, it's all, you're the sweetest baby. Like, it's oh, that. Oh, God. I wrote a lot of songs <laughs> like that that I would be like, oh, dear. Oh, God. No. Yeah, I, couldn't, I couldn't do anything except soupy love for my baby. And... Because, and that after a couple of months of that, I was like, well, sod it, I've just got to go. And I, you know, I made, <clears throat> I made all these films. I made a slew of films that they didn't mind I was kind of fat and milky in. I made this film Conviction, I made Barney's version, I made all, I, I went to work, which was amazing um, because it set me up and made me feel good. And then, I don't know what it, I don't know what it was. Uh, it, it, it took a while, it took a while to, and in the interim, I did this record with Gary Lightbody, who's one of my best friends. So I'm in this band, Tired Pony, and we did a record, and we toured that a bit. And then um, I'm writing with him for the next record. 
But this, this we've been promising. I've been promising to do this. I really wanted to do it because it's a hard thing to do without it being karaoke. To do a covers record, it's, it's difficult, you know. It's difficult for it not to be rubbish. Why... What, what was the first song you decided to sing for this record? Well, Master Bluster was what we used to... We did that on the last tour, actually. We were... Um, we played that at Soundcheck. And that was just an idea that I'd had in the middle of the night um, that my guitarist at that time helped me figure out um, of doing it as a super moody, darker anthem. Well, we have, a, we have that queued up as well. We need to hear a little bit of Master Blaster by Mini Driver because... We need to talk about this. At the end of the block, I didn't know you be jamming until the break out down. It's a taste of Master Blaster as interpreted by Mini Driver. It's on the album Ask Me to Dance. Now, I told you when we were waiting to go on that to me that song is... August. It's August 29th. The air feels like soup. It's, it's just, it's hot, it's steamy, it's sexy, and then it becomes dangerous. I love that you call it August when it comes, it comes off an album that's called Hotter Than July, which I, I suppose would be August. Which would be August. <laughs> but to me, that, it goes from very sultry and romantic yeah. Too, too dangerous. Too very, very dangerous. I wonder if that's what he meant. I wonder if that's, you know, Stevie Wonder's version, which is obviously so uniquely genius, it, if that was his intention. If that song came out, I, I feel like that record was like 79 or 80. Um, 79? So, you know, where you're bang up in apartheid, you know, but nobody's really getting into it yet. Mm. You know what I mean? I Mandela's exactly still deep in jail. He's still got a long way to go. Like it's, he's kind of going at the edges of it. But I love the idea of there being, of still talking about unity. I mean, it's never been more appropriate than now, um, politically. There's something interesting about you being a white girl from England singing Master Blaster. Did anyone tell you don't do that? Yeah, a few people were like, why, why do you want to do that? And I, was, and I kind of felt like, well, I'm not going to separate myself out tribally. Like, I don't look at it that way at all. And if someone's written music for everyone, I don't feel like I'm co-opting someone else's culture by then putting it through my, um, putting it through my own sort of heart machine and, and pumping out what, what comes out. Because I, I think, uh, particularly music, it is the most unifying thing there is. Are you ever, or were you worried during any point of making this record that you were painting a target on yourself? Nah, because there's always a target on you. Like, if you're in the public eye, there's all, it, goes in, it, goes in, it goes like this. You, you start feeling it. You know, you see young, that lovely Jennifer Lawrence... She's talked about it. She's sort of like waiting for the tide to turn because it, it, it invariably does. It has nothing to do with you or what you do. You just have to keep holding your line. You know, Robert Altman said this brilliant thing once. He, he was talking about being an artist. He said, an artist, your trajectory is like that. And opinion, taste, critics, everything else goes like this. And at some point, you are always going to bisect it, but you can't do it all the time. And if you start trying to follow the curves, you'll lose your mind and you'll certainly lose your way. So all you can do is just go like that. 
So the whole notion of there being a target, yeah, it's Monday, there's a target, it's Thursday, it's gone. I mean, you sort of have to ride it out. It's revolting when it happens and it doesn't feel good, but it does stop and you just have to get on with it. When you are as famous as you are... I'm not that famous anymore. I think think we would agree that you're that famous. You wouldn't be sitting here if you weren't famous, Mini Driver. Uh, We spend a lot of time, those of us who watch you, and we're thinking, what does this mean? We're looking for clues. We're reading between the lines. Um, I could listen to all three of your solo albums and I can write a storyline of your life based on what I've heard. How fair would that be? How much of a representation... Of the of your life are these three albums. Oh, hugely, hugely. I mean, the fir- that first record, everything I've got in my pocket. I left the business. I moved to Hawaii. I went and lived in someone's guest house. I was pretty broke. I was sick of um, Hollywood. It wasn't happening. It was it was it was bad. I'd broken up with the dude. I was gonna get married to. It was all bad, and I didn't want to go and sit in the shrink's office. Which I've got nothing against that at all. But it just didn't it didn't seem right. So I went I went to Hawaii and I sat. <clears throat> on the beach and I wrote the record and I surfed and had a dog and made a lot of friendship bracelets ate a lot of pokey <laughs> drank a lot of tequila came back, felt better got on with it and then Sea Stories and Sea Stories was, I mean I know you said that you think it's a sad record and I mean it, it is there's a lot of love in it there's a lot of love there's a lot about the direction of love in it and sometimes it doesn't work out and sometimes it does um, but it's about being pulled towards love and that whole idea of sea stories is the whole and I did, I wrote it sitting on the beach outside my house it's about being pulled by the tide of there's something about that record that talks about, to me, talks to me and I think anyone who listens to it I think you would be reveling in the opportunity to, to digest and interpret if, if it's about the angst I was talking to a friend of mine today who's in the early stages of love and she doesn't know how great she is and I actually rolled her off a couple of songs from the CD because I, I had it on my desk. And I said, you need to listen to these songs because this is what you're living through. You just haven't figured it out that he's fabulous. And so are you. And so some of the songs are about love shattered, but some of it's about just how horrifying it is to be in love. Being in love is awful. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. It's only good for about five minutes. No, 10. <laughs> but then I listen to Ask Me to Dance and I think, this woman is ready to be in love. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I am a bit in love at the moment as it Are happens. Are you? As it happens. Um, well, we're just talking, we're just friends amongst ourselves. Be free. Feel free to talk. No, you know, I mean, like, <laughs> just like anybody, like, it's horrifying. Is and he it's cute? great. Yeah, of course he's cute. He's got a job. He's got a really, he's got a job. <laughs> he would say he doesn't have a job. He has a job. Oh, yeah. okay, good, yeah. good. Yeah, I've known him a very long time. Good, ah. Yeah, my dad always said, everyone you'll ever love is already in your address book. Does mom approve? Yeah. Oh, Larry. Are we loving making Minnie squirm a little bit? She didn't know I was going to do this to her. So what song won't... Let's get back to the record, because the clues are in the record. What won't you sing? What won't I sing? What won't you sing? What do you mean? When? What, 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 uh, what song would you not sing on this record? 
Oh. What song do well, you think I would never touch that with a barge well, pole? Well, do you know what's funny? I tried and I tried because I had to have a go, but I couldn't. Was Jesus Etc. by Wilco. And, um, and then I heard Nora Jones do it, and that really pissed me off. I was like, mm. it was a pretty good version. It was, pretty, it was a good version. But I didn't, um, that's, that's, it's a seminal song for me. I'm not entirely sure why, but Wilco is a seminal band sort of in my life. But I also tried to sing um, I Ain't Blue by Bonnie Raitt, which is again, probably top five songs. And if you haven't heard it, I strongly recommend. She was like 18 when she made this record and it's like a, they recorded it to tape in a barn, like in a commune one summer. And you can hear all of that in this. And it's, for this 18, 19 year old, they'd be talking about just being hot for guys. And it's a good song. It's a beautiful song. So when will you take a year and get in a van or a bus and tour the country? Because I feel like you are in need of that. I think it's going to be in the... Uh, you know, God willing, we get picked up for another season. It'll be in the hiatus next, which is sort of between... We finish in March. You find out if you get picked up in May. Between then and July, August, when we start up again. Because you're aching to do it, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. So I really, really, really want to do it. I think the thing that I... I first found so um, connective about you is the wanderlust in your music. You see wide open spaces when you sing, don't you? Yeah, and that's, that's, that's really all, that's what it, what it came from and what it continues to come from. And it is amazing. I'd love to throw my son in the bus and the dude and the band and just I was going to say, well, is he going to come with you? Well, you know... Probably not. I mean, probably for sort of like four or five days. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just subject anybody else to the bus. It's just, isn't it the most romantic idea? It's, it's like, I think every rock and roll heart's dream. Yep. To just be out there. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing to, when they're in the audience and then you're singing particular songs. That's pretty. There's a song I wrote called Beloved <clears throat> on uh, Sea Stories. And... Uh, when I wrote it, it was sort of aching to be in love. And I, I wrote this, it's, you know, it's a really lovely love song, but it wasn't for anybody. And uh, it's funny when you catch up with who it's for and it, all, it sort of makes sense later. I wrote it and put it in escrow. Psychic. Um, psychotic. <laughs> so the album we're talking about is called Ask Me to Dance. And actually... Do we have time? We have time to, to let you all ask some questions. Do you have some questions for Minnie Driver? It's actually a statement. I just wanted to say that I've always adored you, and I adore you even more now. And to be honest, I had no idea that you sang, and you have an incredible voice, and I'm definitely going to get the album. And thank you. actually, I love all the artists that you've listened to. They're all my favorites. Oh, good. So thank, thank you. you for being here. Thank you. Thanks very much. Don't, okay. don't, can I just jump in for one second? Don't you love when someone says, I didn't know you can sing, and then they suddenly, they become a believer? Yeah, it's amazing. It's I mean, what, does that, what does that feel like to you as, as a singer? It feels, it feels really good. It also feels weird because I'm, I'm, I'm still, 22 years later, not used to people thinking of me an actress and not a singer. But I love that discovery. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. 
Oh, how cute anyway. is he? Um, are you friends with Will from About a Boy, like outside of the show? Do you know what I am? He is, David Walton is his name, and he's one of the nicest, funniest people you'll ever meet, and everybody wants to be his friend. So I sort of have to get in line to be David's friend. Um, he is great. And my son is also very good friends with Ben, who plays Marcus on the show as well. Hello. Hi. Um, I'm curious to know, um, at, the, at the points when you were down in your acting career and stuff like that, and just your music, is there anyone that inspires you in particularly to keep going and keep you know, pushing forward and pushing through all those tough times? Or is there anything that you've done to where you just felt inspired or inclined to just come back and do it again? Or, you know, what, what drives you? What drives Mini Driver? You know, it's always... I mean, it's usually people, or it's usually people who give you a book, and then you read the book. I mean, there was... Um, when I was really sad and broke and didn't know what to do, my friend Kelly actually bought me a plane ticket to go to Hawaii and said, you go, and then he hooked me up with his friends whose guest house I lived in. Like, there have been people who have like physically done stuff. And then there are people who, like my friend Alexandra Valenti, who's, she did all of the, took all of the photographs and all of the artwork in the record is so beautiful. She paints on photographs and she lives in Austin. She has been a constant source of um, support and love. Um, and funny enough, when stuff was, was really hard as well, both Dustin Hoffman and Robin were always, always, uh, uh, always very, very, very clear about why you need to keep doing something if you love it, even if it's not going well. I think you have to look in your life for those people because I think they're there, but you have to be available to hear them um, when they tell you those things. That's as much a part of it, you know, to let it in. I love the fact that you did Waltz Number no. 2 by Elliot Smith. The song is amazing. Um, I guess, so what other Elliot Smith songs do you like and maybe relate to? Oh, wow. Um, well, so, so Elliot was a friend of mine. Elliot did all the music for Good Will Hunting, and we became friends after that. And we used to go out. He used to take me to all these places in L.A. that I didn't know that played live music. And when he played Spaceland and all of these... He used to play these small clubs in, in L.A. and they'd be packed. And it's when you could still do that and have these shows and, and pe you know, the fire marshals would show up, but it would be too late and everyone would sort of be packed in. And um, I was going out with a drummer at the time who was working at Sunset Sound and they were tracking drums, which is very, very boring. It's a terrible, boring thing that goes on for hours and gives you a headache. So I knew Elliot was recording XO there and I wandered off down the hallways, and I, when I walked into the studio, he was stacking vocals for Waltz Number no. Two, and it was this—it was like a wall of sound. When I walked in, and he used to stand behind the desk, and he—he was—you know, everyone knows he wasn't happy. He wasn't a happy person, I, I guess. But he was happy then, and he was ignited then, and. Um, the whole of EXO, I would, I mean, I, I love Figure Eight too, but, but EXO is an incredibly special record for me. And he used to get pissed off when people co-opted his, like there'd always be these kids coming up at the end of shows who were, 
even if they were like crying going, you know, you wrote that song for me, like that's my voice man, and he'd be like, no, that is my pain. <laughs> that is not your pain. <laughs> that is my, you know, it was, he was cool. We saw Ricky Lee Jones play one time, which is kind of where I had part of the idea for Fly Me to the Moon, because she, she used to do these weird French songs just with an upright bass. And it could go really bad really quickly, and then she'd bring it back. And he always loved that. He loved the stuff that was difficult and hard and didn't work all the time. But when it did, it was just amazing. Yeah. This is a question about your acting career, Minnie. Uh, so, Tarzan, how did you develop the voice for Jane? Did you ever meet John Lasser? And what was it like working with Walt at, the, at the Disney studio? Well. Um, I got the job for Tarzan well, before I was well known at all and then by the time the film came out because it took four years to make Tarzan because it was back before everything was done digitally um, uh, it was amazing um, yes I met John and I'm actually doing another film for Disney Pixar right now called um, Zootopia which is going to be fantastic I play a very evil pig Zootopia, yeah, check it out. If you Google it, I'll give you the story. It'll tell you all about it. Is it just remarkable to you that you get to dabble in all the various things that you love to do? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's I, incredible. I, 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 it's such an obvious... I, I don't mean to ask such a leading question, but so many of us ache to do what we love and so many of us don't. What does it feel like to know that you're going to get to do what you love. Well, when you get older, you feel grateful. But when you're younger, it, there's so much hubris and you think it's sort of natural and it falls a bit by the wayside. But if you're, if you're lucky enough to still be around later in your life, you feel very, very grateful for it and um, I think appreciate it a lot more. We watched Goodwill Hunting again not too long ago and I don't recall whether you had and I don't, I think the answer is no. Direct scenes with Robin Williams? No. Did you work, were you together at all in the filming or was that done at separate times? And have yeah, because we were all in Boston together. We were all, uh, uh, we were all sort of living together. Not, not, not me and, and, and Robin, but I was there and I would go to the set when Matt and Robin had scenes because it was so amazing to watch. And um, we, uh, he was, he, was a really, he was a really amazing person. He was happiest in front of people, making them laugh, and uh, he was great. He really was. I miss him a lot. Hi, Minnie. Hi. I think you're much more beautiful in person. Oh, yeah, I'm a right dog on screen, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love it when people say that. My mom, <laughs> like, no, I, no, I usually get, no, I usually no, get. Seriously. God, you're much slimmer in person, I'm like, what, do I look fat on the telly? <laughs> no, I think, I think that was a compliment. I totally take it as a compliment, 100%. You have a, such a strong spirit and voice. Do you ever consider like, speaking out on like, world issues or causes oh, to impact wow. the world? Do you know what? I've, um, I've worked with this aid organization called Oxfam, which is the oldest uh, aid organization in Great Britain. And now they're in 127 countries in the world. And I've been an ambassador for them for quite a long time and I've been to Southeast Asia, mostly speaking out about um, women's, women's rights, women's labor rights, 
the women in Southeast Asia are often who work in the garment industry work in the sex industry as well. And um, I've been to Cambodia with them and Vietnam and Laos. And uh, I continue to do whatever they ask me to. But I, I've also been to Washington speaking about arts and education for the Creative Coalition, which is sort of like the politicized branch of my profession. They're amazing. Um, so yeah, sort of like arts for kids and women. That's my jam. But I'll talk about anything you like. <laughs> <laughs> well, Minnie, thank you for letting us get to know you a little oh, bit you're better. You're welcome. Thank you for coming. I appreciate it. The program it. on NBC Tuesday nights is called About a Boy. Of course, you're going to watch it. And the album is called Ask Me to Dance. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Appreciate guys. it very much.